In uh, almost every evangelical church, um, there are people that uh, when you talk to them long enough will admit that they have some background in the Brethren Assemblies, right? They're all over the place. So I, I think I know who some of you are, and I'm not going to embarrass you, I don't think, but if you have some connection with the, the Plymouth Brethren, the Gospel Halls, the meetings, just, you know, wave and be proud. Look, there we are. That, I think there are more, there are more of you. That, Dean, you were the one told us to put our hands up. All right. So in, in, in the Brethren tradition, there is the, the custom of the letter. So what happens is that if you are to leave one gospel hall or one uh, Bible chapel or a meeting, and maybe you're on holidays and you go to a different one, the, the custom is that you ought to bring a letter from the oversight of the one assembly to introduce you to the oversight of the other assembly, and particularly so that you can be allowed to break bread. That's, uh, it's a letter of recommendation, a letter of commendation. It has its precedent in the New Testament, so it's a great practice. Uh, but sometimes um, it goes a bit far. And, and some of you, we all know with our brethren baggage, we know what stream we were, we know how tight we were, we know how we were. My, my dad was tight brethren. He grew up in, in a closed gospel hall. He was engaged to a woman from an open Brethren Assembly, and so they read him out of the first one because he finally married someone from an open Brethren Assembly. It's interesting. And the, the true story is told about an evangelist from the assemblies in Belfast who was going to preach in Blackpool. And Blackpool is a holiday town, and um, this speaker who was to go to the Gospel Hall and preach on Sunday night thought he would go to the Breaking of Bread on Sunday morning. So he headed off from his hotel to the Breaking of Bread Sunday morning, and uh, when he arrived, they greeted him and asked him for his letter. And he said, well, I, I, I didn't bring a letter because I'm, I'm the speaker tonight. And they said, well, nonetheless, without the letter, you can't break bread this morning. And he thought, well. So he thought he would go back to his hotel room and just read the Bible for a little while. And as he was going back to his hotel room, he met two young women from his assembly back home in Belfast. And he said to them, where are you going? They said, we're going to the breaking of bread. And he said, well, do you have a letter? And they said, well, it's Blackpool. We thought it can't be too tight. It's a holiday town. And he said, well, they won't let you break bread without a letter. So I tell you what, come on back to my hotel room. So in his hotel room, he wrote them a letter, and they took their letter from him, and they went and broke bread. Hmm. <laughs> That's a long story to get us to think about the things that we began to think about last week. And what we began to think about last week was a better way um, to talk about this whole job or process of what we called inviting. And we want to say, actually, no, we're going to stop using that word. And instead of the word inviting, we're going to be talking about the word introducing. And we talked about this a little while last week, and my printing is awful, so I tell you that's the word introducing. 
inviting seems to be a whole different thing from introducing. And when we talked about the, the story in the New Testament of um, how Andrew came to follow Jesus and then invited his brother and then invited others, um, that actually it's better to say that what he did was that he introduced Peter to Jesus. Not, not that he invited Peter to Jesus. See, inviting sort of feels like you invite people to something. You invite them to a meal. You invite them to a party. But introducing almost always requires a person. You don't introduce people to a party. You don't introduce people to a meal. But you do introduce them to a person. And it seems to me, as I mull this over in my head, that the whole notion of inviting people to church is a lot less doable than introducing people to one another and also ultimately, of course, to introducing them to the Lord Jesus. So think about this as we talk about how we have Alpha here, for example, and as we think about where we are in our Christian lives Monday to Friday. I'm not going to ask you to invite anybody to something. I'm going to invite you to think about introducing people to people and introducing people to the Lord Jesus himself. So the story in, Mar in, in John is this. John, Jesus looked over his shoulder and said to them, what are you after? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He replied, come along and see for yourself. They came, saw where he was living, and ended up staying with him for the day. It was late afternoon when this happened. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John's witness and followed Jesus. The first thing he did after finding where Jesus lived was find his own brother Simon, telling him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. He immediately led him to Jesus. We can say he immediately introduced him to Jesus. Uh, I want this morning to bring you to a, a great story in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Kings and chapter 5. And I think when you hear the story, you will realize that it has introduction written all over it. So listen to this really exciting story. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him the Lord had given a victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who was from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now, as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider it now. 
and see how he's seeking to quarrel against me. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the, in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Can I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to go and do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. When he returned to the man of God with all his company and came and stood before him, he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but then in Israel. So please take a present from your servant now. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Naaman said, If not, please let your servant at least be given two mules with a load of earth, for your servant will no longer um, offer burnt offerings, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this, mas- in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him some distance. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, Behold, my master has spared this Naaman, the Aramean, by not receiving from his hands what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him and said, All is well? He said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. Naaman said, Be pleased to take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes and gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them before him. When he came to the hill, he took them from their hands and deposited them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Is it a time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. Incredible story, isn't it? Is it not a story about introduction? Think about it. 
we're going to talk about the art of introduction. Not as if introduction really is an art, but it, it's, it's a title for a talk. As I went through this, this story, my head was just full of principles about introduction. So this whole idea, the good tradition of the letter of introduction. You know who this is because here's the letter. These people know him. They introduce him to you or her to you. A good tradition. Sometimes goes awry. In the story of Naaman, it all hinges, I think, on introductions that are made. And along the way, God gets involved in the plot, and he makes a tremendous difference in people's lives. And it all begins in a really, really insignificant way, doesn't it? So as we think about the characters, rather than try to spell out all the principles that I think are in there, and I encourage you to, to dig into it and see what you can pull out, and maybe we'll have a time of listening to one another in the next week or two. In particular, I want you to figure out what it means that he gets um, a pass on being judged when he goes into a foreign god's palace with his foreign boss and apparently doesn't honor his conversion to the God of Israel. Do you notice that? He says, just this one thing. Like when I go there, and I think he says, I, when I go there to, to have my master's hand on me or to have my master's hand. So what is he saying? What, what is the, the pass that is somehow given when your job requires you to do something against your conscience? That's not what today's talk about, but you can go home and study it and see what you want to, what you want to tell me about it. This all begins with a little girl. We don't know how old she is. We're not even told her name. Her name doesn't seem to matter. But she is an Israelite, and she has been taken captive into the land of the Syrians, and she is the servant girl of this Naaman character, the commander of the army, his wife. So she's the servant girl of his wife. Um, all the time when I think about Bible characters, I want to try to get inside their head and think what they would have been thinking. Here's a little girl who has been stolen from her home, right? She has been trafficked, and she has been sold into the home of the commander of the army that had sent raids and taken her from her home. What would you think if you were her? Remember, we, we, we talked about um, our friend Mephibosheth and the fact that he was living his life with injuries that were sustained as he escaped from his enemy. His um, father and grandfather had been killed. His nurse dropped him as they run, and then the king wants to see him. And what's in Mephibosheth's heart? So I want to wonder what's in this little girl's heart. Because she's, she's in a place that doesn't belong. She's been stolen from home. They don't speak the same language. They probably don't eat the same food. And, and yet here she is. And she notices, can't help but notice, that her mistress's husband has leprosy. And if she were true to her story she would probably have thought in her heart, good for you. 
right? You're the boss. You're the one who sent the raids. You're the one who took me from my mommy and daddy and my home. And you made me work here like a servant girl. So good for you if you have leprosy. But the only thing we're told is that she says to her mistress, if my master could only go to the house of the prophet in Israel, he'd be cured of his leprosy. What is that except incredible maturity, right? What little girl could have that kind of deference towards the one that employs her? Now, presumably Naaman's wife must have been good. There are a couple of other clues in this story. Um, she may well have treated this little girl kindly and, and so, but all of the circumstances seem wrong to have a happy childhood. And yet she says, what I want to mention is that there's a prophet in Israel, he cures leprosy. I'm sure he would cure my master if my master could, could go there. When we think about this whole sort of chain of introductions, the lesson that I would pull from this little girl is this. You are where you are because God wants to use you there. I hope you know that. Where you live, where you work, where you go to school, what's going on in your life, no matter what has brought it about, good or ill, you are where God wants you to be because of what he wants to do through you. This little girl, somehow or other, had a spirit that was yielded to God, that knew him, and was able to take her circumstances and set them aside and say, I think I'm here to make an introduction. You are where you are to make an introduction. I'm going to just be blatant on that, and I'm going to keep pressing you and see if you are letting the light on, can, can you see how it is that you are where you are because you're supposed to introduce somebody to somebody else? Just maybe two humans, one human to another human, but you're there because an introduction has to be made. And this little girl is where she is to make an introduction to Elisha. It's going to take a few steps before she gets there. But she's there for God's purpose, to be used by him and to make an introduction. So she says, I wish my master could meet Elisha. The second person in the story, or second character in the story, is Naaman's wife. Because the little girl goes to Naaman's wife and says, I think I would like to make an introduction and I think what she's doing is saying to Naaman's wife, he'll listen to you, right? He's not gonna, he's, he probably doesn't even know who I am, let alone know my name. But you, you're the next person I can talk to, and you're the one that I think can have the ear of Naaman so that he can be introduced to the right person. You may think that where you are and what you do does not matter. And in the scheme of things, it might not. But in the way God works, it always matters because there is someone you are supposed to introduce someone else to because of what needs to happen with a domino effect that carries on from that point on. 
So the little girl speaks to Naaman's wife, who presumably then goes and speaks to Naaman. And she says, you know, little so-and-so. No, not really. Well, she told me something. She told me something that you need to hear. She said that in Israel, there's a prophet, and he can cure leprosy. Naaman takes his wife seriously. Little clue there. He, He pays attention. She apparently is living in a relationship with him such that when she comes to him with a suggestion, he's prone to accept the suggestion. How many guys will admit that every now and then you're not prone to take your wife's suggestion? Oh, look, one honest man right here in the front, and his wife's going, yeah. (laughs) Naaman says, all right, um, hang on. Uh, How are we going to work this out? So he says, well, the next person in the chain of relationships is the king of Aram. I work for him. And Naaman, who has taken seriously that his wife wants to make an introduction, goes to his boss and says, you'll never guess what my wife heard from a little girl who is her servant girl. She heard that if I can go to Israel, there's a prophet there who can cure my leprosy. Now, Naaman Um, was well thought of. So his boss, rather than saying, are you serious? They can't cure leprosy. I'm sorry it's happened to you, but but you're unclean and you can't be cleansed. He doesn't say that. He says, well, seems to me an introduction needs to be made. Again, the story of introduction after introduction after introduction And the king of Aram says, I tell you what, I will write a letter introducing you to the king of Israel. And then the drama just gets thicker, doesn't it? Because when this uh, Naaman heads off to try to make the connections in Israel, hopefully to meet someone, to be introduced to the prophet, he brings his letter to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel hears that the letter is asking for him to be cured of his leprosy. And he goes, are you kidding me? I can't kill people. I can't heal people. I certainly can't cure leprosy. This king guy, he's trying to stir up trouble. He wants to have a quarrel. Well, you're stuck there because the right introductions have been made. The letter has been written. The ask has been made, and the king of Israel says, no, 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 this is a trick. But as God would have it, there's somebody listening in the background. The person listening in the background is a prophet whose name is Elisha, and he says, what's with the sackcloth stuff? Let me meet this character, and I will show him that there is a God in Israel. The the way God intervenes is fascinating because just when you feel as though you've gotten to a roadblock and you think, it has gone so well until now, but now it's like done. It's like it just stopped. There's no magic anymore. Then out of the blue, right, there's someone who appears, there's some situation, there's something else, and you think, wow, 
And if you are an Elisha whose job is to be a prophet, priest sort of person in between some characters who need to meet one another, make sure that your ear is open. Make sure that you listen to the conversation at the next Starbucks table and say, excuse me, I'm sorry to be listening, but I heard you talk about praying. And God takes his little ways and he connects them right up because he was not going to allow his purpose to be frustrated. His purpose that would be communicated and effected via relationships, via introductions. So Elisha says, come on, uh, bring that guy over here. So Naaman comes along, and uh, he, he's, he shows up. Sure enough, leprosy, or whatever the disease is that the Bible is calling leprosy, right? So Naaman shows up, and he's, he's a big man. He's, he's the commander of the king's army. So he thinks, um, just go and let this guy know I'm here, and I want him to cure me. Well, Elisha says, okay, you want to be cured? Here's how you have to do it. You're going to go to the Jordan River, and you're going to dip in the Jordan River seven times. That dirty river, that Israelite river, dip in a river to be cured of my leprosy? That's beneath me, beneath my dignity. I'm a proud man. So he says, no. There are two rivers I can think of in Damascus that are beautiful rivers. Why don't I go dip in them? Elisha says, no, it'll be the River Jordan, please, if you want to be cured of your leprosy. Again, game over. It all grinds to a stop until the servants of Naaman say, well, don't kill me for this, but honestly, if he had asked you for some incredible thing, you would have done it. All you have to do is go and dip in the Jordan. And they talk him into it. The story follows along these characters. And indeed, Nam goes and he dips in the River Jordan. And it is a wonder. He is cured. He has skin like a child's. And he says... Oh my goodness, I now know that there is only one God, and it's the God of Israel. Then there's that little help me out on this, give me a pass that you guys should figure out. But um, he says, let me, pay, let me pay you for this. He says, no, this, this wasn't for sale. It was to show you that there is a God in Israel. It's not for sale. So... Naaman says, well, at least let me, you know, and he gives him a token thing, and Naaman heads off for home, and Gehazi gets into the picture, and he's introduced to us, and it's a guy with a black hat. He says, this is crazy. We can make money off of this. So the contrast in characters is fascinating. There's a little girl who wants nothing but her master to be healed and to meet the, the true God. There's the servant of a prophet who says, we can work this to our own ends as well. We, we can uh, not only deliver the power of God, but we can profit from it. And, and God is not good with that. He's not good with anybody taking credit for what he does. 
He's not good with anybody being paid for what he does. So Elisha, uh, in, in, in the Hebrew, it's fascinating. He says to Gehazi, where were you? And he said, man, no, nowhere. And the text says that the spirit of Elisha actually saw the events. So he had like a little out-of-body experience, and he watched Gehazi, and he heard what Gehazi said. And he said, hmm, you know what? I heard you. I saw you. This is not for sale. The leprosy that Naaman had will now afflict you. They go, that's severe. It is severe. And when there are severe outcomes like that, it's because God wants to make a point. And his point is, there's a little girl to be celebrated. She only wanted to make an introduction that had to do with the true God and with someone's well-being. There is a character in the story that is not to be celebrated because he got mixed up and he cared about himself and he cared about their campaign and their wealth and that's not going to work. Where are you in the chain? I know that you know people who need to meet some other people that you know. Think about it just in terms of, of your you know, your connections, your, your client list, whatever it is. It's that sort of thing where you should sit and just ask yourself, who do I know that for the glory of God and his purposes would be well suited to this introduction? And you might say, I never thought of this before. I thought that they would, now I think they really would get along very well, and, and that would be a great thing to do. The key is making an introduction for God's glory. It's as simple as that. Who do you know that should know somebody else? And God will take care of the rest. He will do the miraculous thing when it seems to have come to a block or um, a standstill. He will, at the end of the day, bring about his great glory. 2004, um, I went to Grenada. It was right after Hurricane Ivan. Hurricane Ivan hit Grenada as a um, category three storm, I think, and then it got worse. But it, it caused devastation in Grenada. And the, the organization Youth for Christ in Grenada were wanting to mobilize churches, and they're wanting to mobilize um, schools and make connections between their workers and the schools. Um, there was a bit of a partnership with Scotiabank because of how active they are. Um, and they wanted to bring relief and to build and um, bring a curriculum into the schools. They, they were really wanting to just bolster uh, this really depressed country, island of uh, Grenada. So I went there to, to talk to, at a pastor's conference and trying to ask pastors from different denominations just to join up for the whole island and, and be united um, because they hadn't been united at all. And so we went there to do that. And I went with a character called Bob Simpson. Bob was the, the Canadian director of Youth for Christ for years and years and years and years. And he's a guy that I have watched in awe and shock and wonder because he breaks walls down ahead of you. He does things that you can't otherwise do. He always has to have a big cleanup team because it's a mess when, when he gets done. But 
while we were in Grenada, he was working with the, the YFC leaders and the church leaders, and he had a plan. Um, but he, he needed a way for that plan to be brought into the schools throughout, throughout the country. And one of the people who had come along to the pastor's conference happened to be the chief constable, a lovely man and a Christian man. So um, we were driving one day. So Bob doesn't like, he doesn't like to drive, so he made me rent a car driving on the wrong side of the road, falling off the edge of streets because they don't have shoulders. or It was awful. So he said, drive me. He said, we have to talk to the Minister of Education. I said, what? He says, we have to talk to the Minister of Education. So he said, this is the Parliament building, I think. Park there, and we'll go and talk to the Minister of Education. I said, you're out of your mind. He says, just come with me. So we go in, and there's a desk. As in most of those countries, there's a, a, a person with a uniform on and a scowl. And he says, yes. Uh, we're here to see the Minister of Education, says Bob. And the person says, do you have an appointment? No, but he'll see us. If you don't have an appointment, you will not speak to the Minister of Education. Excuse me. And he went back to writing the report about this character who was trying to see the minister. So we went back out to the car. I said, see, I told you, Bob, you can't just walk in and talk to the Minister of Education. He said, we're going we're gonna to talk to the Minister of Education. He said, drive me to the police headquarters. I drove him to the police headquarters. We go inside, and this lovely chief constable says, Bob, Ian, great to see you. Um, let's have some tea. We'll have some tea. So then he says, what, what can I do for you? And, and Bob says, I want you to take us to the minister of education. He said, sure. So he, gets, he doesn't get in our car because he has a car and a driver, and we get in his car with a driver, and we pull up in front of the parliament building, and we go to the very same guy at his little desk, and he says yes. Uh, Bob says, we're here to see the Minister of Education. And he says, I think I saw you this morning. I asked you, do you have an appointment? And Bob said, we don't have an appointment, but we do have the chief constable. And the chief constable cleared his throat and said, we will see the Minister of Education, if you please. The little man kowtowed and showed us right in. Behind this big mahogany desk sits the Minister of Education, who is looking shocked. He looks up and he says, yes, or am I in trouble? And the chief constable says, not at all, not at all. I have brought some people to introduce to you that I think you will find very interesting. Excuse me. And he bolted. And this man from behind his desk, who went by the rules, looked up at us and said, well. And Bob hadn't thought very much about what to say next, but he began to talk. And by the time he got finished talking, the Minister of Education said, tell me exactly what you want. And some great things happened. Partnership between churches and churches and churches, churches and schools, um, some building, fixing, work teams, great stuff. But 
the way God worked in it was, you know, when we do what we can, and for Bob it was more than he should have, um, God will open ways for us. And when we get stuck, he'll do something else. And then at the end of the day, you'll look back and say, Did you, do you see what just happened there? Who did that? Well, God did because the way he gets his glory, the way he gets his kingdom through, is by little girls realizing that they're where they are for God. And so saying the thing that's on their heart, I wish you could meet the prophet Elisha. It's good stuff. Father, help us to know who they are, the people in, in the chain of introductions in our little lives. And uh, let us come back to tell stories of the way that you did what we couldn't do because we did, in fact, do what we should do. In Jesus' name.